This is a Yale University Press podcast. I'm Claire Barnes, one of the hosts of the podcast, covering our books on the environment, politics, religion, history, law, and biography. I'm excited to welcome our guest today, Philip Freeman, author of Julian, Rome's Last Pagan Emperor. Philip Freeman is Fletcher Jones Chair and the Professor of the Humanities at Pepperdine University. His books include Hannibal, Rome's Greatest Enemy, Alexander the Great, and Julius Caesar. Freeman's new biography of Julian, the last non-Christian emperor of Rome, is part of the Ancient Lives series at Yale University Press. This series unfolds the stories of figures from all parts of the ancient world and unveils them in fully human dimensions, complete with foibles and flaws. Welcome to the podcast, Philip. Thanks very much. Great to be here. I'm excited to talk about Julian today, a fascinating figure in Roman history. Before we dive into Julian's life, tell our listeners more about your own love of the classics. When did you first become interested in the ancient world? Oh, I became interested, I think, from the very beginning. I always loved history, but uh, my father was in the Air Force. And so when I was, I think, 11 or 12 years old, we were stationed in Italy and I was in the Boy Scouts. And uh, we used to go camping. And sometimes, uh, you know, in Italy, you run across Roman ruins all the time. So, uh, and we went to Pompeii. So I think that uh, was really where it all began. That's really fascinating. And my next question is actually about the sources that you use for this biography. And the book features many quotations, both from Julian's own writing and ancient accounts of his life written by people who knew him personally. In the prologue, you note that these sources often contradict each other. And you also mention that Julian's perspective on his own life can be biased. When researching the book, how did you go about dealing with this challenge and deciding on which sources to trust? That's always the trick in dealing with history. Um, we're fortunate with, with Julian actually to have an abundance of information compared to, say, Aristotle or, or somebody like that. Uh, we know a lot about Julian's personal life because of his own writings, because of his letters, actually, which are, are fantastic. Uh, but, uh, you know, when when we talk about ourselves, uh, we don't always give the most honest perspective. I think that's why they don't let us write Wikipedia pages about ourselves, uh, because we tend to just highlight the good. And, and Julian does that, too. So it, it's important to rely on the sources of people who knew him. But the people who knew him tend to fall into two camps. Uh, they were either the, 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 uh, the, the pagans, the non-Christians, uh, who admired him very much, or they were the Christian authors who really despised him uh, and called him an apostate and, and everything else they could think of. So uh, trying to uh, compare sources where you have, uh, you know, that are so extreme uh, and, and then add in Julian's own uh, autobiographical sources, it's so tricky. So, uh, I, you know, I, th there's no simple clear-cut method of doing it. It's just trying uh, by comparison uh, and by just uh, common sense to see what is the most likely um, truth uh, about any particular period of his life. It's really wonderful that we have many of his own writings, some of which haven't survived, but a lot of which have. And in addition to other types of artifacts, such as coins, which I know were great use for Roman emperors when they started their rule. I wanted to talk now about Christianity in the Roman Empire, which is central to Julian's story. 
In the first chapter of the book, you detail the political shifts in the Roman Empire around 300 AD with the long rule of Julian's uncle, Constantine the Great, the first Christian emperor of Rome. Can you tell us more about the Roman Empire Julian was born into? What were the political and religious concerns of the empire? Well, the empire that uh, that Julian was born into had just come out of a very difficult century, the third century AD or, or CE. Uh, it was a time where the empire almost fell apart, uh, where there were different uh, barbarians, different tribes uh, on the borders, uh, different threats from the outside, different threats from the inside. And it was uh, really uh, the emperors uh, around uh, the year 300, like Diocletian, and then uh, after him, Constantine the Great, who really held things together. So it was a, a precarious uh, situation. It was kind of a, a time of revival uh, when Julian was born. Uh, he was born in 331. Uh, and it, it was uh it was it was it was tricky uh, it was risky uh because uh, there were still threats uh, both internal and external uh the uh the world of uh the roman empire at this time was very much pagan very much non-christian uh at at the time of uh constantine at the time of julian maybe 10% uh, of the uh of the population was christian uh, roughly about the same percentage that was Jewish, uh, really. Uh, and so uh, it was uh, definitely a minority religion, but one that Julian's uncle Constantine had embraced, I think for sincere uh, faith reasons, but also for political reasons. Uh, and so uh, it was uh, very much the um, religion of the imperial family at this time. Uh, when Julian came along about 20 years after Constantine, uh, he was expected uh, to be uh, a Christian. Uh, but the persecutions of the Christians had certainly ended at this time, but it was still very much, uh, you could worship any god you wanted to or, or not at all. Uh, it was a, a real marketplace of religions. Uh, in the truest sense. In your first couple of chapters in the book, you you do talk about this political instability in the Roman Empire that led Constantine to, to adopt Christianity. And I'm wondering, in his own attempt to secure stability in the empire, can you tell us a little bit about the tragedy of, of Julian's family and, and his early life and, and the way that Constantine is wrapped up in that? Yes, uh, his uncle Constantine uh, died and then left the empire to his three sons uh, once uh, he had died. And of course, uh, what happened then was what so often happens uh, in history. It happened to Charlemagne when he died and left his uh, empire, divided it. Uh, they, they end up fighting each other uh, and eventually killing each other, which is exactly what happened. Uh, Constantius, uh, the son of Constantine, is the one who comes out on top after basically killing his brothers. Uh, and he uh, is the one who is in charge, and he uh, clears out all of his enemies, including Julian's father uh, and some other relatives. So Julian grew up, uh, along with his brother Gallus, as just about the only survivors of his own family, because they had all been killed by his cousin Constantius. Uh, even though Constantius was at least uh, nominally a Christian, uh, it did not stop him at all. So uh, Julian uh, grew up in this uh, Christian world, uh, and yet a world in which he must have wondered, you know, do Christians really behave this way? My, my uncle uh, killed uh, my father. He killed uh, so many of my relatives. So I think uh, at the very beginning of his life, Julian uh, faced this contradiction um, of, of Christianity uh, 
in 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 its teachings uh, and uh, Christianity in its practice by his uncle especially, and so I think that left a very sour taste in his mouth certainly. But um, but Julian was raised as a Christian, and as far as we can tell uh, from the beginning, he was uh, sincere. Uh, he was a, a brilliant, brilliant young man, uh, and uh, was uh, learned everything he could uh, about um, Christian literature, non-Christian literature. Uh, we know uh, in his later writings, his later anti. Christian writings that he can quote the Gospels and the uh, epistles of Paul uh, better than most bishops could. Uh, so he was uh, deeply, deeply immersed in Christianity. And yet there was always that contradiction uh, about uh, Christianity being uh, uh, the, the ideals of Christianity versus the practice of Christianity. And in 351, you mentioned that Julian secretly abandons Christianity. But before we get to that point, you paint a picture of Julian as quite a scholarly youth in his exile, even though he's really isolated from the politics of Rome. And he was, as you mentioned, steeped in Christian and Hellenistic sources. I'm wondering if you could tell us about Julian's greatest teachers and why some of these figures in his early life were so important to his fondness of pagan beliefs. Yes, he uh, was, uh, well, like most people in his age uh, who were Christians, they were uh, very much exposed to pagan beliefs, uh, the, the great Greek philosophical traditions of Plato and Aristotle uh, and all the rest, and the literature of Homer, uh, especially, I think, was was very important uh, to Julian. Uh, so he was raised in this uh, environment uh, where he was taught by, uh, by tutors, by private tutors, because he and his brother were basically uh, under house arrest from their, the time of their birth. Uh, so they were taken away from Constantinople, which was the Roman capital, uh, and raised in isolation so they would be no threat. But he, dealt, he still received uh, a very good education. Uh, and uh, he was uh, absolutely exposed to these uh, pre-Christian religions so that about the year, uh, about the time he's 18 years old, he adopts uh, paganism. Uh, and uh, abandons Christianity, but he does it very quietly uh, because he knows if he came out openly as a pagan, uh, that his life would probably be over. Uh, so he, uh, he he's a secret pagan uh, from that point on, from the time he's about uh, 18. But he had, uh, as far as teachers, uh, some of the very best uh, of uh, Christian and non-Christian uh, teachers at the time. Uh, he traveled around uh, for several years after his uh, exile was over. He went to Athens and he learned. Uh, he uh, studied with Neoplatonic philosophers. Uh, he uh, was exposed to uh, the, the greatest intellectual uh, teachers of the day, uh, and he uh, received uh, what has to be just a fabulous education. I do want to come back to the way in which his pagan beliefs are incorporated into his empire, but first, how did Julian come to power? You note that he ruled Rome as the sole emperor during just a year and a half. And in transitioning from a young boy to an accomplished general in Gaul, he then comes to challenge his cousin, Constantinius. Uh, what do we know about Julian's desire to become sole emperor? And how does this miraculously happen? 
Well, what happens is uh, Julian, uh, it, well, Constantius, uh, the emperor Constantius uh, ends up uh, killing Julian's brother after elevating uh, his brother to the, the rank of Caesar, which is kind of like a junior assistant emperor. Uh, but Gallus was not a, a very smart or a very good ruler. Uh, and so Constantius gets rid of him. Uh, but he needs somebody from the imperial family to send to Gaul to appoint uh, to this uh, the, to this rank of Caesar and, and somebody to be present in Gaul because the Germanic tribes are always threatening to invade over there. So uh, he uh, sends Julian, I think, simply because Julian is the last of his relatives left alive. So Julian is in his 20s. He's sent to Gaul uh, to be a, a ruler, to be a general. Uh, he, Julian has zero experience uh, in military matters, and yet he turns out to be absolutely fantastic at it. Uh, he fights the Germans over a period of years. He secures uh, the frontiers uh, of Gaul, modern day France uh, against the Germanic tribes. Uh, and then he, uh, through various means, which seem to be partly uh, pushed on him from the outside, but partly orchestrated by him, he rises uh, in power until he actually becomes a, a true military threat to Constantius, uh, to his cousin Constantius. And at that point, Constantius, who uh, is, a, a, again, a, a ruthless and, and brilliant ruler, uh, decides that he is going to uh, wipe out uh, Julian and kill him. And so he marches on Julian. But uh, in, in one of those um, just amazing events of, of history, Constantius dies uh, while he's going to uh, defeat Julian, which he probably could have done because he had a much bigger army. Uh, but he dies, uh, and then Julian becomes, uh, because he is the only one left of the whole family, he becomes the emperor of the whole empire uh, at that point. Uh, and he doesn't rule for very long, but he certainly makes an impact. Tell us more about Julian's rule. At the beginning, you note his own aesthetic characteristics played out in his political reforms, but as his pagan agenda was unpopular, he moved to more oppressive means, such as his campaign against the Christians of Caesarea. What were the major characteristics of Julian's short rule? Well, Julian was a master organizer, and he had gotten a lot of experience in administration in Gaul. And so he comes in with different uh, agenda. Uh, the, he comes in, first of all, with a very... Uh, uh, promising and, and very good idea of simplifying the bureaucracy of the Roman Empire, uh, and which even his enemies admired uh, that he uh, he said, you know, he, he really got the organization uh, going again. He eliminated a lot of waste. Uh, he came into the palace in Constantinople and uh, kicked out a, a bunch of uh, uh, hangers-on uh, who were not at all necessary. Uh, and so he sets about uh, taxation reforms and just about everything you can think of, really some very good programs. But he also has uh, an agenda of restoring the ancient uh, gods of Rome to prominence. He does not come in like Diocletian or some of the earlier emperors and want to, uh, you know, kill all the Christians, but he is definitely, um, uh, he is definitely anti-Christian and, and does everything he can to support the, uh, the old uh, pagan Roman religion, uh, which, uh, remember, most people still followed uh, at this point. Christianity was a minority religion. Religion, so he comes in and he um, he strips the uh, the Christian Church of the privileges that it gained under Constantine, his uncle, uh, and he tries to reinforce um, pagan religion. Uh, the problem is um, with Julian. 
when he's trying to restore pagan religion, it, it was never one simple thing uh, like Christianity was. Uh, you had multiple, multiple cults and many, many different gods and many different ways of worshiping the gods. So Julian uh, had to try to create some sort of ar almost artificial uh, pagan religion uh, to uh, to stand in competition with Christianity, uh, and that was a bit of a problem. But uh, he was he was working it out uh, and experimenting. Uh, and he was, uh, I think, most definitely uh, well on the way uh, to uh, becoming a violent persecutor of Christians. I think if he had lived long enough, uh, he would have, uh, we, we would have seen um, bloodbaths probably uh, by Julian uh, against the Christians, but uh, he did not live that long. I'm wondering if we could turn now to Julian's treatise against the Galileans, in, in which you write. Julian never argues that the stories of the gods are true in a literal sense rather than metaphors meant to teach people a higher lesson, yet we know that his actions against Christians could have escalated to full-scale persecution if he had lived. And you argue Julian's biggest critique in this treatise against the Galileans is that they are supposedly unable to make the leap that the stories of the gods are are true in a literal sense rather than metaphors. And so as today conflict persists between religious literalists and those open to scriptural interpretation, do you think that the history of Julian's theological context is relevant to contemporary religious divides? That's a really interesting question, yes. Uh, Julian, I think, would have accepted Christianity if the Christians had not been insistent that their religion was the only religion. If they had been content to say that uh, we are one aspect of the truth, uh, then I think he would have said, fine, uh, that's not a problem. But a Christianity, uh, like later uh, religions like Islam, for example, uh, are, uh, are they they say that we have the truth and you guys don't. Your religion is wrong. It may have some admirable aspects to it, but ultimately it is wrong. Uh, and you know we want to promote our religion because it is the truth. And so um, Julian said, we just can't allow that. Uh, the flexibility of the old Greco-Roman religions, the pagan religions, uh, they were always accepting of new gods. They were always willing to look at things metaphorically rather than literally. Uh, Julian would never say that if you climb to the top of Mount Olympus, you would find Zeus sitting there on a throne. Uh, that wasn't his point. Uh, his stories about the gods, about the mythology, uh, about the rituals uh, of pagan religions were the deeper metaphorical significance. And Christians, uh, while, although they might appreciate that on an intellectual level, uh, could not accept that. Uh, and so uh, for them, the gods of the Greeks and the Romans were devils, were demons, uh, and were to be driven out. Uh, and so uh, when you have that sort of clash of beliefs, uh, where you have literalists versus people who are willing to look at things symbolically, it's uh, it's very hard to find any sort of a compromise. Uh, and I think Julian was realizing that. And I think that's probably what would have led him to be stricter and harsher uh, than he was if he had lived long enough uh, to really uh, make a, a, a war, a, a, a campaign against Christianity. That's fascinating. And, and throughout the centuries, you note that he's been viewed very differently from different camps. One as, you know, this tragic figure that's trying to save Rome from the corrupting influence of, of Christianity, while Christian writers have seen Julian much differently as a violent oppressor. Can you talk a little, little bit about the different 
uh, views of of Julian throughout the ages. And I'm especially fascinated that in the Enlightenment and even after that, um, and and even with the Protestant Revolution, that he was really embraced by some of those scholars. Can you talk more about about those? Sure, sure. It's really interesting the the, the heritage of Julian and what people uh, thought about him. Like most historical figures, uh, people look at at, at uh, you know figures from the past and they see in them what they want to see. Uh, and so you get people who uh, were anti-Christian or, or at least uh, you know pro-questioning uh, Enlightenment figures like Rousseau, for example, looking at Julian and seeing somebody that they could admire, somebody who was willing to stand up to the uh, oppressive dogma of the church. Uh, you get, uh, interestingly, the uh, the Protestant Reformation uh, kind of uh, contradictory, but they uh, they looked at Julian as somebody who uh, who was fighting the oppressive power of Rome, which they uh, thought saw in the, in the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, so he had uh, some uh, fans uh, and always has because he has a, a, a wonderfully dramatic and tragic story. Whatever point of view you're coming from, you look at Julian uh, and you can see uh, you can see almost from the beginning uh, where this is heading. It's like it's like watching Oedipus Rex or something like that where you know it's going to come crashing down uh, in the end because this uh, this young man uh, is just too pure uh, in, in some ways uh, and too idealistic uh, to uh, to compromise. Uh, so he uh, uh, he has both fans and detractors. I mean, certainly uh, from uh, the Christians uh, who, uh, you know, come in the centuries after they, they, you know, embody him as, uh, as, as evil, uh, as somebody who, uh, you know, is a, a, a great enemy of the church. Uh, and that, you know, is a valid point of view from somebody uh, coming at it from a, a Christian way of looking at things. But he has been both um, uh, denigrated and admired, and he still is uh, in uh, in the modern world. He's 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 absolutely fascinating figure, which is why people you know st are still interested in this uh, in this amazing character. On the topic of of tragedy, his invasion of of Persia at the end of his life is that is tragedy and really exemplifies his idealism. And in the prologue, you write that if Julian's rule had not been cut short in this disastrous invasion, that, quote, we would be living in a very different world from the one we know today. Can you talk a little bit about his idealism in this invasion, but also how you think that he would have changed Rome and, and the course of history if if his rule had not been cut short? Sure. Uh, the one mistake, really, in his short reign that Julian made uh, is is the invasion of Persia. Uh, Julian had handled the war in Gaul against the Germanic tribes very well. He was a very good general, uh, but he was overconfident uh, when he uh, invaded Persia. Uh, Persia uh, needed to be taught a lesson, you know, to to keep them behind the borders. That's fine, but uh, Julian launches a full scale invasion, which is which is too much uh, for him to do. It was too risky, uh, and so. He is uh, he uh, dies during this invasion, uh, only a year and a half into his reign. Uh, but if he had uh, been a little more, uh, a little less ambitious in the east, uh, if he had realized that he needed just to keep the Persians in check and concentrate on building up the empire uh, and and starting, you know, uh, beginning uh, and continuing his religious reforms. 
I think uh, that Julian uh, probably uh, could have, uh, if not eliminated Christianity, at least reduced it uh, to a very minor character in the Roman Empire, because Julian was only 32 uh, when he died, the same age that Alexander the Great was. Uh, if Julian had lived for another 30 or 40 years, uh, he was incredibly hardworking and brilliant. Uh, and I think he, he was able to learn lessons. I think he would have learned uh, lessons about his own overreaching. Uh, and I think that uh, the Christianity uh, very likely uh, would have faded away uh, into a uh, just one of the, the many religions uh, of the Roman Empire. And it's, you know, and, and, and if that had happened, uh, you know, you can imagine uh, how history, especially in Europe, would have changed. There would have been no St. Augustine or Aquinas, or no um, Michelangelo. Uh, we would uh, still be, you know, perhaps worshiping the Greek and Roman gods uh, at, at this point. Uh, instead of Notre Dame in Paris, they might be a big giant temple to Zeus there. I don't know. Uh, but uh, it would have absolutely changed uh, the, the, the course of European history and to a large extent world history as well. That's so fascinating to to think about Julian's impact in that way. And I know that you also teach your students at Pepperdine this this history and, and narrative. Can you talk a little bit about their responses to Julian's life and also to this question? Yes, it's interesting at Pepperdine, uh, which is a, a, a Christian university, but there are still you know lots of people from all sorts of different religious backgrounds. There are uh, atheists, agnostics. I mean, you name it. We've got uh, we've got them at Pepperdine, uh, and so it's fun to go into a, a class and engage the students and say, "What do you think uh, about Julian?" Uh, and uh, he has a lot of admirers uh, among uh, college students uh, because college students, of course, tend to be a little bit rebellious anyway. We all were at that age. Uh, so he, uh, uh, they, they, um, they, they, there's a lot of admiration, even among you know very dedicated Christians, uh, about uh, Julian, uh, and you know his 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 willingness to stand up and fight uh, is is something that is inspiring uh, to many people. So he's a wonderful character. This the students uh, can relate to him, I think, in a way that they you know maybe couldn't relate to Julius Caesar or or, or some uh, other figures uh, from history because uh, Julian was absolutely a rebel, but he was a a, a brilliant and accomplished rebel too. Hmm. I think that this is really such a rich biography and brings us, for those who aren't currently in university, brings us back in, into um, being students and, and being fascinated with this history. And as we come to the end of our conversation, is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you'd like to share with our listeners about your new biography of Julian? Oh, just that it was a, a great pleasure to write. I had been studying and teaching about Julian for many years, so the chance to dig into this and to to to, to retell his story and to and to learn new things, uh, I just grew in appreciation of Julian about just uh, what a a tremendous um, administrator he was, a, a tremendous visionary, uh, and I, I think he would have been one of the great emperors of Rome, uh, and and perhaps Rome would have lasted a lot longer. Uh, if Julian had lived, uh, if uh, only he hadn't decided to launch that fateful invasion of Persia uh, when he did, uh, I think he definitely would have changed the world. Well, thank you so much, Philip, for taking the time to join us on this episode of the Yale University Press podcast. This has really been a fascinating discussion of Julian, and I encourage our listeners to pick up a copy if they're interested in the full biography. 
Julian, Rome's last pagan emperor by Philip Freeman is now available wherever books are sold. Thank you so much for listening. Please visit us online at yalebooks.com for more episodes of the podcast, as well as information about all of our books.